0: Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our hosts, Tom Iovino, Deami Palatke, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Hey, this is Chris Adkins, and this is a special edition of the Modern Woodworker's Association. Uh, as you know, we ask each guest that comes on uh, five questions that get us to know a little bit better about them. And so today we, uh, we're we going to be playing a couple that we've recorded um, from the woodworking shows and, uh, and then one extra that Diomi had recorded in his shop. So uh, sit back, listen, and uh, hope you enjoy.
1: I'm here now at the Woodworking Shows in Somerset, New Jersey, and I'm here with a good friend of the MWA, Rusty Burwell, and we're going to go through our five questions, because as much as we've talked to Rusty, we've never put him on the spot and made him answer these questions. So, Rusty, how are you? I'm very well. Good to see you here. Um, Let's get right into the questions, and then I'm going to certainly ask you to tell everybody where they can find out more about you. But uh, in the meantime, how do you get into woodworking? Um,
2: Like a lot of people, home renovation, more carpentry kind of work, and then over for 40, 50 years, and then finally thought that it would be fun to try to make something a little more uh, furniture, a little little nicer.
1: Okay. What is your favorite tool? doesn't have to be a tool that's your favorite today, but in woodworking, even if you use it infrequently, what's your favorite tool?
2: Well, I do, I like, to, actually I like to draw. Uh, the, the idea of, uh, took mechanical drawing in high school like a lot of people, and I've always, that's always been important to me, so the idea of not so much designing, uh, the designing side of it, but the laying out and the drawing and the preparing. Uh, I like that. Enjoy that.
1: Well, that's wonderful. That's an answer we've not gotten from anyone. Um, and when you're doing the drawing, you do it in pencil, pen, on the computer. How do you do your drawings?
2: Yeah, normally uh, on paper, uh, just because that goes back to what I like. So yeah, sure. I have a drafting, a small drafting board. Uh, one day, hopefully, a drafting table. But uh, draw it out in, in that way and sketch.
1: Uh, well, great. Um, who has influenced you the most?
2: Well, in in, uh, in woodworking, uh, probably the wood whisperer, because I found him early on for me five, six years ago, and uh, uh, I've enjoyed both his style of presentation, but, of course, the accessibility of information online. Uh, the, to be able to have a question and go onto his site or go back to something he's done uh... has been a wonderful uh,
1: wonderful help and aid to me that's great mark has influenced a lot of us i think what was your biggest stumbling block in woodworking And assuming that you've now moved past it what could you have done earlier to overcome it uh...
2: no i haven't moved past it it is it really it's precision accuracy precision uh... in carpentry you know the stud can be off by uh, a little bit, and you can cover it with trim. Yeah,
1: tri- uh, tolerances vary widely.
2: Exactly, and uh, so especially um, because I'm when I'm making things now, they're smaller things, uh, and so the tolerances are even closer. Uh, so it's just tough, you know. And I think it's it's a it's a learning curve. It's knowing that you've got to be that you got to check it one more time, be that much more careful. Uh, I found using hand tools helps with that because the uh, the trying to uh, get something perfectly accurate uh, fit on a table saw is is a lot harder than cutting it a little large and then using a hand plane to, to fit it. So that that's the thing I keep struggling with and I'm hoping it's I can overcome it.
1: Okay. Well, that technique of getting close with the power tool and then fine tuning it with the hand tool is certainly a, a common practice that a lot of guys do. So I would think that you're you're well on your way there. Um, and the last question, how has the Internet influenced your woodworking?
2: It, it is the reason I'm doing it. Uh, because when I, so for me, kind of getting serious, uh, let's say five years ago, um, I, I just found immediately Mark and others and YouTube and videos, and for that matter, even Fine Woodworking's archives, popular Popwood's archives, uh, immediately allowed me to find information uh, especially with video, see how something's done in a way that I know would have just been frustrating. The, you know, I would just never would have moved forward as well on my own. So
1: the uh, it's it's uh, made me the man I am today. So, so being able to see people actually doing it rather than just having it described to you has been a big help. Absolutely,
2: and I, you know, I could if we were talking about ten years ago, maybe I'd say DVDs of of things. But the beauty of the internet is it's searchable.
1: It's searchable, and not that the DVD stars and magazine authors that I've met are unapproachable, but the nature of the internet makes it dramatically easier to interact with those people. So do you find it's also, when you watch them do something, it's just easier to get questions answered?
2: Oh yeah, I I think so, and I have reached out to people and gotten answers, and and of course there is the fact that you then create a community or you become part of a community or the multiple communities that are out there and then folks are accessible. Somebody's always got the answer, uh, that uh, or and, of course, sometimes multiple answers.
1: Which can be uh, its own it, problem sometimes. Yeah,
2: but, but still, but they're also yeah. uh, the first uh, woodworking class I went to was a week-long um, beginning furniture-making class at the Philadelphia Furniture Workshop. And uh, the guys there great teachers, and one of the things they said which really helped was there's a lot of ways to do things and it's not right or wrong, and, and of course, a lot of people teach that mantra, so that it's, it's both a matter of doing it the way you know you can do it, but also with the tools you happen to have, and and that's very empowering.
1: Uh, and I would absolutely agree, my personal philosophy is it's woodworking, there's no wrong answer. Um, as long as you can do it the way you do it, and you're not hurting yourself doing it, it's not dangerous, and it achieves the results you want, that's how you should do it, it's just that simple. Absolutely. Alright, well, thank you for talking to me, Rusty. Could I ask, um, where can people find out more about you on the web? Uh, I, I, my website is
2: silverpearlwood, all one word, silverpearlwood.com. And are you
1: out there on the Twitters?
2: I am at Rusty Burwell. no, no space, no dot, uh,
1: Rusty Burwell. Well, thank you very much, Rusty. Enjoy the show. Thank you. I'm here now with Vic Teslin of Veritas Tools, and, uh, he's been kind enough to subject himself to our five questions. So, Vic, thank you for coming on with us, and let me start with the first question. How did you get into woodworking?
3: I originally got into woodworking um, because I wanted to build a piece of furniture for my daughter. Uh, I thought it would be kind of cool to be able to do that, and um, so I started uh, looking at some books, uh, and I made the ugliest uh, end table uh, for her bed, or bedside table, uh, that I've been trying to throw out for 14 years, and nobody will let me do it.
1: Now, it's hard to get rid of that first piece.
3: It is, and I, and, uh, it only, the drawer only works in the winter time. uh, <laughs> because, uh, I thought piston fit was achievable in North America, uh, and so clearly that was a mistake. But it, uh, it actually, I'm glad they don't let me throw it out because it serves as a reminder, you know, of, of how bad it could be.
1: No, I, I completely understand. My, the first piece I ever built was a bookcase. It was made out of CDX plywood, and the sides were spackled to make them smooth before we painted it. And it now resides in my sister-in-law's apartment. And every time I go to move her, which is about every 18 months when she moves from school to school, I get to, to see it again. And it's, it's nice to be reminded of it.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you lose sight of where you started, you know, it can, you, you can't take yourself too, too, too seriously in woodworking. And so, you know, sometimes you have a bad day in the shop. I'll end up walking past that, that you know, that, that, that small piece of junk and realize, okay, I, I'm, I'm doing all right.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. I understand. Um, Next question. What is your favorite tool? Oh, boy. Lots of our guests struggle with this one. Interpret it however you want. This is of all time. Today, the best tool in the last project you used. However you want to interpret this. It's absolutely fine.
3: Wow. Um, You know what? I I think I'm going to go, instead of with a tool, I'm going to go with a group of tools. And I think that's hand planes. I think, um, you know, I recently have dumped a lot of machinery. I've gotten rid of a table saw i've gotten rid of a, a joiner um you know and all with the mind of doing more of it with the with hand planes and so you know i don't know like i mean as far as a favorite hand plane i think my, the one i have the most fun with is um is my plow plane uh I, I, and i i can't really articulate why i just it seems for every time i use it i just i end up with a smile on my face and i you know i don't know if that's weird or not it probably is but Anyway, uh, the uh, and and uh, I love my jack plane, you know, my low-angle jack.
1: Well, I don't think that's weird at all. I think we all have that kind of tool that brings a smile to our face. But I have to ask, I understand the, the affection for hand planes, but dumping the joiner, doesn't that mean that you're now doing all the grunt work of your initial flattening by hand?
3: Yeah, you're right. Um, and I have a really small shop. It's only 170 square feet. So I can't have and I wasn't able to have much bigger than a six inch joiner Um, most of the wood I'm working with is larger than six inches and so I ended up flattening by hand anyway the real the real thing I was worried about at the beginning was getting rid of the um, getting rid of the joiner for doing the edge work but as I started using my joiner more and more before I got rid of it I just started using my joining plane a little bit more and then it got to the point where I went months without turning on the joiner. And I thought, well, now's the time.
1: So once your work pattern reached the point where you didn't need it, you knew you would be safe getting rid of it. That's that's right. All right. I'm going to move on to the next question. Before we do, I'm just going to say my shop's roughly that big. I have a one car garage and I have an eight inch joiner in it. So you just need to be more creative in how you fit your tools in. (laughs) Uh, But let's move on to the next question. Okay. In your woodworking, who has influenced you the most?
3: Oh, boy. Um, You know, I I was really fortunate um, to. Go to rosewood studio into a to a private school and within that we had a lot of uh a lot of woodworkers that came in um guys like garrett hack and michael fortune adrian farizuti uh and even the owner of the school ron barter i mean these guys all are incredible woodworkers and so i was really fortunate to have been in that environment and so you know those names i named there i mean that's you know that's just the start of it um and 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 every one of them because a lot of those guys are completely different, you know. Uh, Michael Fortune does incredible work and does uses a lot of machine techniques. Garrett Hack, you know, um, the other end of the spectrum does a lot of hand tool stuff. So I basically was able to take from that individual traits that I liked about their woodworking and apply it to my own woodworking. So, um, but you know, um, y- you can't really say like I you can't really have this conversation without talking about somebody like James Krenov. Now I don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't sit in Lotus position in front of my wood and, and listen to what it wants to be made into. Um, But what he did teach me is the sensitivity to color and grain and patterns. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of people don't mention that, you know, you, that's really what he was into. And he, You know, his cabinet on stand, yeah, you saw it over and over and over again. But what you didn't, a lot of people missed was that subtle harmony and grain, that subtle uh, light and dark, you know, coming together. That's, yeah, that really influenced me a lot. And I can't, it's almost ruined me. I can't just build something, you know, and not pay attention to that. Because if the grain doesn't look right, I just it doesn't look good
1: to me. I understand, and that's a good point about Kranoff that not many people mention. Uh, And I think your other point, too, about how as you're exposed to more and more teachers, especially teachers of that caliber, you kind of take what you're going to use for. Once you're starting to develop your own style, nothing a single teacher teaches is all going to fit into your style. But you take from each one what you can use, and you come up with the best style for yourself. Um, So, now, what was your biggest stumbling block in woodworking? And assuming that you've moved past it, could it have been avoided? If not, just share the problem with us, and maybe we can help you out.
3: Yeah, um, I think for me, uh, it was sharpening. Uh, that was, you know, I I would worked for probably two or three years before I went and took a sharpening course, and I I didn't know what sharp was. I didn't really understand. I didn't know that you needed to sharpen stuff. Really, I thought chisels were good out of the box, you know. And so that was, you know, once I did the sharpening course, and then I realized what i was missing out on i mean my woodworking improved like 300 percent. you know keeping in mind that most stats are made up on the spot but the uh but i mean i that's you know i always say like if you can learn to sharpen right off the bat you know and i mean there's so many options out there now to learn how to sharpen and whether it's freehand or whether it's uh or with a jig or with a machine or whatever i mean you know, there's there's a, there's an option for every price point and every skill level, learn how to sharpen. I mean, that's really the biggest thing.
1: I would absolutely agree with that, and I think that kind of touches into something we were talking about before we started recording, was that there are many ways to do every task in woodworking. That's especially true of sharpening, and I would say that for people who are learning to sharpen, it's I think it's very important to pick one and learn that one. And you may later decide that you want to switch to a different type of stone or a different method, but until you decide on a method and really master the method, which, once you focus on it, isn't that hard, but until you do master the method, you never get real sharp, and you don't know what that means.
3: Well, I agree, and I think, you know, I always try to tell people, like, forget about forget about the, the media, forget about the metal, forget about the jigs. Just understand that sharp is two flat, highly polished surfaces coming together at an aris. Like, that. that's what sharp is, and so... Whether you're getting that with diamond honing paper or Japanese water stones or Arkansas stones or a concrete floor, you know, however you get to that point, really doesn't matter as long as you get sharp. And I mean, you know, you'll get you'll get dogmatic opinions about sharpening, just like anything. Well, you know, anything else in woodworking. But I mean, I think that it's the fundamentals that get lost in those conversations. You get bound down by the minutia, but you don't really. Pick up what the fundamental was, and the fundamental is flat, polished surfaces.
1: That's exactly true. Uh, so now we're on to the last question, and it's how has the internet influenced your work?
3: Well, you know, it's funny. I, like I'm a big book junkie, and I uh, I can't go to a wood. Shop. I bought a book. That, you know, what I mean, the last thing I need is another book. Yeah, and you've got one right there. Last thing I need is another book. But I found this really cool book on um, on benches that uh, Joel was selling. And uh, really cool on different, you know, how different uh, religious sects had their type of bench, you know. Um, but all of that to say that um, I find it so much easier now to find information. Um, you know, if I'm thinking about, um, you know, nine times out of ten, I'll remember a, uh, an article in Fine Woodworking. And, you know, now I can just go to their website, punch in a few keywords. Oh, there's the article. And, of course, because I subscribe to the to the extra content. I get the article, no problem, you know, so, but I think the internet has become a little bit of a two, a double, a double-edged sword where, you know, you have to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. And, um, you know, there's a lot of guys who pontificate about woodworking, but don't do a lot of woodworking. And so once you, once you figure that out, you know, I think, I think it's really, um, you know, you can learn stuff so quickly now, you know, stuff that, you know, you used to have to get 10,000 hard earned hours in just to learn, you know, and now it's just like, you just pick it up, you know, and I think that that's great, because um, we're, you know, furniture making is a dying thing, woodworking is a dying thing, and I think any, anybody who's working to keep it going and provide the information to just make it a little bit easier for the next guy, like, I mean, I think that's great, and the internet's doing that.
1: I would absolutely agree, and woodworking isn't the only thing, but it, the internet has made so many crafts more accessible to people, uh, and that is fantastic. So, thank you very much. Uh, before we close, though, could you just tell people where they can find more about you?
3: Yeah, so I, I have a website. Uh, I do blog on occasion, but I, uh, I am not a prolific blogger, uh, and that's uh, www.victeslin.ca. And are you on the, the Twitter or the Google Plus? I, I am on the Twitter, I'm on the Google Plus, and the Facebook.
1: All right, well, we'll look for you there. Thank you, Vic. So now I'm here with Roland Johnson of Fine Woodworking Magazine, and uh, we're going to ask him the Notorious Five Questions. So, Roland, thank you for coming on,
4: and I'm going to begin with, how did you get into woodworking? Uh, When I was in high school, I worked in a lumberyard for four years in high school and sort of got an interest in woodworking. And when I graduated from college, I was renting an apartment that had no furniture in it, Had a basic knowledge about woodworking and refinishing. Started buying some furniture to refinish. Turned out to be pretty nice. Neighbors saw what I was doing out in the garage. Started into a refinishing business. And that just morphed into building furniture. And I've been doing it now for um, way into the last century. (laughs) A long, long time. So my first business started in 1976. So that shows how long I've been around. I'm too polite to do the math. Yes, yes. <laughs> could, could I ask, uh, no problem. Could I ask, what is your favorite tool? And this band, can be... Yeah, that's easy, the bandsaw. Bandsaw, if I could have one power tool in my shop, it would be the bandsaw, because you can do so much with it. And it, you know, James Cranoff years ago said to him, the ideal small shop was a well-tuned bandsaw and a good collection of hand tools, because the bandsaw will eliminate all of the heavy lifting and allow you to work your hand tools really well. And it does it with low horsepower, and it occupies a small footprint. So my favorite, bar none. That's why I wrote the book. That's true. That's true. Um, Could I ask, who has influenced you the most as a woodworker? Fine Woodworking Magazine, without a doubt. I discovered Fine Woodworking Magazine in uh, about 1977 through their biennial design book, bought all the back issues, And, uh, that's where I learned woodworking from. I'm from the Midwest. We don't, years ago, we didn't have any woodworking (laughs) schools in the Midwest. So I'm self-taught. This isn't one of the official questions, but now how long have you been with fine woodworking? You you seem to have been there a while. I've been with fine woodworking for 18 years and I have been a contributing editor for, I believe, eight years now. So yeah, it's, it's been a while and it's uh, been a pretty magical time because I, um, I really venerated Fine Woodworking magazine. I just thought, you know, if I could ever, ever write one article for Fine Woodworking, it would be tremendous. And uh, I submitted a couple articles on request from some guys that I'd met at a woodworking show, and uh, they accepted the articles, and I was off and running, and uh, I've written well over 100 feature articles for the magazine already. So it's been fun.
1: That's great, and you're working there is fantastic. Thank you. Thank um, so now let's move on to... What was your biggest stumbling block in woodworking and how could it
4: have been avoided? Oh, my biggest stumbling block. Boy, that's, that's a tough one. Probably thinking that I can figure out stuff without (laughs) any, any, uh, previous education or knowledge or talking to anybody who really knows. I've uh, blundered off on a lot of blind alleys just because I thought, well, I can figure this out on my own. And so, uh, learning from Someone who's gone before is really important. So that probably was my biggest stumbling block.
1: Okay, And that that makes sense. And now the last question, how has the Internet influenced your woodworking?
4: Well, obviously, I write a lot. So that has really made a big difference because I can be in direct contact with a lot of people a lot quicker. Um, research work, uh, when I'm trying to solve a problem or work on a new process, there's so much information out there, and some of it's actually good. Yeah, and uh, so it, it it's opened up a whole new world of possibilities. We have uh, better access to tool information, better access to process information, and that's that's probably how it's affected me most.
1: Well, I want to thank you very much for answering these questions with us. And uh, when we wrap this up, could I ask, how can people find out more about you? Where can they find you online?
4: Roland, Rolandjohnson.com. It gets pretty easy there. And I do update my website once in a great while. So stop by and check me out. If you ever want to ask questions, uh, please go to my uh, Ask Me page. And I do pay attention to all my emails, and I will return anything that you send to me. Well, that's great. We'll check it out. Thank you. Thanks, Sam.
1: Well, I'm here right now with Ed Pernick, the senior online editor. Senior oh, web producer. Senior web producer. Excuse me, Ed. Senior web producer of fine woodworking he's been kind enough to come into the shop and answer our five questions so first let me just say hi ed how you doing hi diami thanks Uh,
5: thanks for thanks for having me over and uh thanks for the the joiner
1: oh no problem (laughs) well i don't want to gloat with that because i don't have joiners to give to everyone but i'm i'm happy to uh (laughs) to have hooked you up when when i'm passing it on i always try to give my machines to somebody who can use it but uh now let's just get into the questions so we can go to lunch so ed how did you get into woodworking uh Well, uh, when I was a kid,
5: I was really into working with my hands, um, built a lot of tree houses. Uh, Grew up in New Hope, Pennsylvania when I was a little kid uh, down the road from George Nakashima. So um, I was exposed to a lot of interesting woodworking. The the church we went to when I was a kid um, had been remodeled inside and out by Mr. Nakashima. It was his church. And uh, so I was always around really fancy joinery. And then uh, we moved to Connecticut when I was a freshman in high school. And uh, I hooked up with the brother of a buddy of mine who used to build timber frame barns, and I used to work with him summers from time to time. So I got my fix there. And then I went to college, and I at RIT for photography, and I took uh, some classes at the school for uh, American crafts. Uh, so that's basically the trajectory.
1: Um, How did you enjoy RIT?
5: Uh, I <laughs> I enjoyed my education a lot. I hated Rochester with a passion. It's just seven months of gloom and doom in the sky.
1: See, I'm an alumni of Geneseo, Uh about 20 minutes to the south, and I will say that uh, the winters there were not so bad.
5: Yeah, you're full of an unpleasant brown substance, I would say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, no, if you've ever been to Geneseo, that that smell is not the manure, it's actually the alfalfa. Right, (laughs) right, right. Um, But anyway, so thank you for that introduction. Now, what is your favorite tool?
5: So I, I was thinking about this uh, when I saw the questions earlier, and I was I was about to say I really love my table saw, but more and more in recent years I think it's becoming my hand planes. Um,
1: Any hand plane in particular, or just the yeah, hand planes actually, in general?
5: Yes, I got um, I picked up a uh, bevel up low angle Lee Nielsen smoother um, a while back, and I find that you know typically conventional wisdom is that a bevel up plane is for you know end grain, uh, that sort of work. And I've found that it's it's perfectly adept at smoothing face grain, too. It's, a, it's just a very versatile plane.
1: No, I'll agree with that. I've, I'm not the biggest user of hand planes. I have enough, and I use them when I have to. But I, I'm soon, I turn sooner to my sanders than I do my planes. That said, I, I think it's just tradition that leads to the bevel down. I mean, I think the bevel-ups are fairly universal, and you can really tune them to do anything you want.
5: Well, that's... Yeah, exactly. In fact, that's is the same thing with smoothing planes in general. I mean, you can tune most planes to function as a smoother. You put a camber on there, you close up the throat real tight, wow. and you can use a joiner as a smoother if you want. Um, but I just, there's just nothing like that finish, you know. You, you go over a piece of cherry with a well-tuned hand plane, and it feels good, and it looks like glass afterwards. It's
1: that. absolutely gorgeous. So, now let me ask, who has influenced you the most in your woodworking? Um, I would have to say
5: One of the biggest, so I I really got hard into woodworking maybe in the last 10 years and then I got to find woodworking and one of the guys who really built up my skills even more than they were built up before was uh, Mike Pekovich. Um, Around work he has, uh, he's sort of known for being a really good go-to guy for answers. Um, He's always really amenable if you need help with something like, look I'm trying to figure out how to do this technique or that technique. He's always right there to support you. So I'd say Mike has been a very big influence. Um, and as far as other people that I that aren't necessarily in my universe, uh, I would say Mr. Nakashima has been a something that I've rediscovered in recent years. When I was a kid, all I knew him and his son Kevin as were, you know, it was the, the older guy and his son who go to church with us. I had no concept of who this guy was. And I sort of started revisiting his story in the past few years since I've been at the magazine. Um, and I'm... I've been very taken by his just his philosophy more than anything else. Not, not necessarily just his furniture and how pretty it is, but his philosophy. Um, so, yeah, I'd have to say
1: Mike and maybe George. Okay, so Mike, and George, and not Matt. Oh, definitely not Matt. And that's a pain in my butt. Okay. <laughs> what was your biggest stumbling block, and could it have been avoided? My biggest
5: stumbling block was... Um, was a very common one among a lot of woodworkers and it was when i got to find woodworking i thought i understood what sharp was and i realized that i had absolutely no idea because i came from a lot of the woodworking i did was more you know house you know houses timber framing stuff like that and sharp for a you know a a set of chisels for timber framing is a completely different concept than it is for pounding out mortises in a workshop for furniture so um i had no concept how i could have avoided Um, you know, the misery I had with dull tools for a long time, that's a tough one. I think, I think the best suggestion there is you, you need to, you need to see it done. You need to go to a class or you need to be talking with an old timer who knows what he's doing because until somebody takes you, in my case, it was actually Mike until somebody takes you in the shop and says, no, that's not sharp. This is sharp. And let me show you why you really don't. You're not going to get
1: it. It's the kind of thing where you don't realize what you're missing until you experience it. So you need someone to show you what sharp is before you can realize that your stuff is not sharp. Absolutely. That's it in a nutshell. Okay. Well, on to the last question. How has the internet influenced your work?
5: Ah, that's easy actually. Um, And and this goes for not only woodworking but for everything. There is never – and I've said this before on our podcast. There's never been a time um, in history where you could go to something like Google – and look up how do I do this, how do I do that, how do I do that. And you can find a, an answer to anything, whether it's woodworking joinery, how to fix parts in my car, um, how to insulate my house, pro- my old house properly, um, how to replace my bill code doors. It's just, it's Internet. So anytime I need inspiration, I'm on the Internet for a project. Um, anytime I'm stuck with a technique, I'm on the Internet, or I'm in Mike's Cube, <laughs> truth be told. Um, but uh, it's just using it as a fountain of knowledge. That's the biggest thing for me. It's just a fountain. It's like a big encyclopedia. It's
1: awesome. That it is. That it absolutely is. So thank you for coming in and talking with me. And now just can you tell people where they can find more about you, pimp, any projects oh, yeah. you have going on? Uh, well, you
5: can find me at finewoodworking.com. Um, we have our own podcast called Shop Talk Live, uh, and you can find that at shoptalklive.com. Um, but I'm all over Fine Woodworking's website, so you can't really miss me. Um and uh, I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there. Um, and I'm also, my email is public knowledge.
1: It's epernick at taunton.com. All right. Well, thank you, Ed. I've had a nice time talking to you, and thank you for stopping by. All right. Likewise, Dion.